Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks at greenvilleoaks.org and connect with us on social media. We would love it if you could rate and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Hello, everyone. Greetings also to those who are watching online. Glad we can all be together in this way. I, I haven't been here long enough to get to know Keith and Cindy really well, but what I, I know about them is more from getting to know you all as a church and seeing the legacy they're leaving behind. The way you love them tells me a great deal about how much they have loved you. For his part, Keith has been a kind, gracious, welcoming person to me. Gotten to know him fairly well. He stops by my office every morning, asks me to remind him where the restroom is. Just <laughs> right down there, Keith. Go on. A couple of minutes later, he stops by and says, now where is my office? Okay, Keith, let's go to the office. It's hard to stay at a church for 30 years. It's hard. Sometimes it's hard because the minister's a knucklehead. Sometimes it's hard because a bunch of people in the church are knuckleheads. That Keith and Cindy have been here 30 years says a great deal about them, and it also says a great deal about you. So thank you for loving them the way you have, and Keith and Cindy, thank you for leaving behind a church that I get to preach to and have a great time doing it. Appreciate it. Next week, I'm going to launch a new series. It'll be our fall series of messages from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. We call it Philippians. And if you want to prep for that series where we'll be letting Paul remind us what really matters, I invite you to read through Philippians this week. It's a short little letter, short little book in the New Testament. It won't take you long, but as you read through it, pay attention to what Paul keeps coming back to time and time again, and you'll begin to get a sense of what really matters. Today, I want to spend a few minutes saying a few things about hospitality. I'll begin with centerpieces and then place settings, and then I'll close with a brief tutorial on how to properly cut a perfectly smoked brisket. <laughs> In our culture, when we use the word hospitality, we tend to mean having friends and family over to our homes for a gathering of some kind. If you have the ability to make someone feel comfortable in your home, we say that you have the gift of hospitality. But when the writers of Scripture speak of hospitality, they're talking about something much bigger, much broader, often more challenging than simply having friends and family over to your home. The New Testament, the word that is translated hospitality is Philozenia. If you break it down, meaning is obvious. Philo, love, xenia, strangers. Hospitality is a love for strangers. If you demonstrate a love for strangers, you're demonstrating philozenia. If 
you're demonstrating philozenia, you're, you're demonstrating hospitality. Conversely, if you are afraid of strangers, if you have a phobia of strangers, you're xenophobic. And the writers of Scripture, when they speak of hospitality, they are talking about not just welcoming friends and family, but also welcoming strangers, others, outsiders, people who are not like us or who do not naturally belong to our community. Hospitality is the act of making room for strangers. In the ancient world, hospitality was an essential component of morality. It was expected that you would welcome a stranger who shows up at your camp or your city gates or at your door. There was an ancient code of honor and shame attached to this practice. To refuse hospitality to a stranger who showed up at your door was a telltale sign of moral corruption. You can tell a lot about a person's or community's character from the nature of their hospitality. And we see this ancient code of hospitality put into practice. In Genesis 18, I'll let you read these stories on your own. But in Genesis 18, Abraham welcomes three strangers who show up at his tent, in his camp. And he lavishes them with hospitality. And it turns out to be a good thing because these three strangers are actually three angels who are messengers from God sent to deliver some good news to Abraham and Sarah. But you compare Abraham's hospitality to what happens in Genesis 19 when two of those same messengers from God show up at the city gates of Sodom and Lot welcomes them. Though not as extravagant as Abraham, he demonstrates hospitality. The men of Sodom, not so much. And it's their lack of hospitality to those two messengers from God that reveals their moral corruption. How far gone are they? Well, do you see the way they treat strangers? You can tell a lot about a person's or community's character from the nature of their hospitality. Practicing hospitality played a prominent role in ancient Israel and in the early church. For ancient Israel, welcoming strangers was not just a cultural norm, it was a divine mandate. God commanded his people to make room for the stranger, the foreigner, the outsider, the alien. Leviticus 19, verse 33 and 34, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. 
The foreigner, the outsider, the stranger residing among you must be treated as your native born. Why must you love them as yourself? Because you were foreigners, you were outsiders, you were strangers in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This is a thus says the Lord practice. And Job, when he's making his case for his righteousness before God, when Job is trying to prove that he does not deserve all the pain and suffering that's come upon him, one of the things he points to is the kind of hospitality he offers. He says in Job 31 verse 32, no stranger had to spend the night in the street for my door was always open to the traveler. You can tell a lot about a person's or community's character from the nature of their hospitality. The writers of the New Testament pick up this thread and they emphasize the essentiality of making room for strangers. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, verse 2, do not forget to show hospitality, philoxenia, to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. This could be a reference to those stories in Genesis 18 and 19. And then there's Jesus' parable of the sheep and the goats. You know, that parable or scenario where the king gathers his people and judges them and separates them into sheep and goats. The goats are punished. They're banished. They're sent away because they did not demonstrate compassion to those in need, but the sheep are rewarded. And as the king says in Matthew 25, verse 34, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger and you invited me in. Even though you didn't know it was me, you demonstrated hospitality to me when I was in disguise. You can tell a lot about a person's or community's character from the nature of their hospitality. The radical hospitality was a factor that helps explain why Christianity spread across the Roman Empire. One writer has called it evangelization by hospitality. There is something irresistible and enticing about a community that welcomes friends, family, and strangers alike as if they might be entertaining angels in disguise. Now, that's not to say all of this is easy, not without its challenges. So Peter, in his letter, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, why would he need to say, do this without grumbling? Because it's not always easy. It can be uncomfortable. It was difficult and uncomfortable then, just as it can be today. There were even limits placed on how long hospitality was to be extended to travelers. I mean, there, there had to be some boundaries. There's an, another document, we'll get into it, it's not part of scripture, but it's called the Didache, and it is like an instruction manual for Christians in the late first, early second century, telling them how to put some of these practices in place and one of the pieces of advice that the Didache gives to Christians is you should welcome a stranger and they should stay with you and can stay with you up to three days. But after three days, they need to move on. 
like Benjamin Franklin's old saying that after three days, both fish and company begin to stink. They knew that back in the first century. Three days, there's, got, there's some limits here. Don't, if you're a stranger, I guess, don't take advantage of someone else's hospitality either. Three days. What was it that motivated the early church to maintain this commitment to something that could be so uncomfortable and difficult, to something that could make you want to grumble? Why did they stick with it? Why was it a firm commitment? Well, there are a couple of convictions undergirding it. The first comes from something Paul says in his letter to the church in Rome, Romans 15, 7, when he says, accept or welcome one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Welcome one another as you have been welcomed by Christ. The early church excelled in hospitality because they worshiped a hospitable God and followed a hospitable Christ. They made room for each other, for others, for strangers at their tables because they recognized how God in Christ first made room for them. The second conviction is that the early Christians believed that when they made room for strangers, they may very well be making room for Christ in disguise. We get this from Matthew 25, but also from that story in Luke chapter 24, when two disciples are walking down the road to Emmaus and they're joined by a stranger who turns out to be the resurrected Christ, but they don't recognize him. And they walk along for a bit and they have a conversation. And then we pick up the story in Luke 24, verse 28. It says, as they approached the village to which they, the two disciples, were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. They offer hospitality to this stranger. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and broke it, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Christ is the stranger who, when we invite him into our lives, our homes, to our table, becomes our host. And it's no accident that they recognize Christ, the stranger, in the breaking of the bread. Because the ultimate expression of hospitality, of making room, is breaking bread with others. Now, every week, when we gather here, and we gather around this table, we make room for Christ who makes room for us. Every week when we make room for strangers in our gathering, we're making room for Christ who makes room for us. And when Christ the stranger becomes the host and breaks bread with us, we join him in breaking bread with one another. And every week, When Christ breaks bread with us, we are reminded 
of a hospitable God who welcomed, who embraced, who made room for us in God's house and at God's table. Because you can tell a lot about the character of God from the nature of God's hospitality. And so we go to the table. This, this is the table. Not of the church, but of the Lord. Made ready for those who love him and those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. Come, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long. Come, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed. For it is the Lord who invites you and makes room for you. And it is his will that those who want him and those who want to be more like him should meet him here. We give thanks for the bread, the body of Christ broken for you. And we give thanks for the cup the blood of Christ shed for you. One of the ways that we can put this teaching on hospitality into practice every time we get together is by always being ready to literally make room for guests, for strangers, for outsiders. We are, as a church, every week it seems, being blessed with more and more new people who are joining us. And next week, you will have the opportunity to make some room. You do that in two ways. When you come in, if you get here a bit early, if you're one of our regulars and you're comfortable doing so, if you moved up closer to the front, that allows those who are new or come in late to have easier time finding their seats at the back. If I'm a guest at a new church, I would much rather sit near the back than have to walk all the way up to the front because the regulars took all the good seats in the back. Also, as we begin our gatherings, we always have a few stragglers that come in late. Sometimes it's the newcomers that they had a hard time getting here, finding the building, didn't, didn't read the map right. They come in a few minutes late. We're standing. It's very difficult to find a seat. So in those first few minutes of our gathering, if you're looking around and you see folks looking for a seat and there's empty seats in the middle of your row, just scoot in, make, make room. Isn't it amazing? Make room. It, make room for those newcomers, so that they can be welcomed and received among us. Now, I'm going to close our time today with a playful reminder that a community 
that refuses to welcome strangers is in the long run only doing harm to itself. Take a look at this video. Thank you so much for listening to the message from the Greenville Oaks message broadcast. We hope this message enriched your life and can help you inspire others to follow Jesus because we honestly believe following him is the best way of life possible. Be sure to connect with us online on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.